0: Welcome to Wallachia. Previously, Marley has disappeared. Count Dracula promised to send his guards, the Order of the Dragon, out to look for her. The Count has also announced that the Order will begin expanding and is looking for new recruits. Chapter 9. Rides in the Rain The clouds had gotten darker. Stepping out of the church after Mass, Abraham was surprised by how much the sky had changed in just over an hour. Of course, the mere prospect of rain wouldn't stop the congregation from gathering outside for their usual Sunday socializing. Even when it was pouring buckets, a few people would find somewhere to talk. Seeing everyone together was something Abraham generally looked forward to. He'd make his way around the grounds and try to chat with people he hadn't seen recently. Today, he had a headache and planned to escape as soon as he felt a raindrop, which, fortunately, fell just moments after he stepped outside. He shook a few hands and started on his way toward his house when Victor, Stefania's son, came up to him. Victor, good morning. Hi, father. I wanted to—well, that is, the readings really helped me today. It was noisy, standing amid the crowd, between all the chatter and the sound of the rain on the stone. Abraham leaned in closer to hear Victor. The readings? That's good to hear. About Simon? How he received his call? Yes, yes, good, good. Abraham patted Victor on the shoulder and took another step toward the rectory. See, father. I was thinking about something, and I wasn't sure about it, but then I heard you talking about Simon. Victor stepped forward to follow Abraham as he walked. Abraham took the cue and stopped. He couldn't recall the younger man ever showing an interest in the liturgy, even initiating a conversation, for that matter, so thought it was probably best to listen, headache in rain or not. Victor continued. My Latin's not so good. Sorry, I tried to follow along, but your homily helped. I've been thinking about last week, when Domniel Negrescu and Count Dracula spoke. And then today, when Jesus told them to all get those fish from the boat, and then they all followed him, well, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to join the Order of the Dragon. Paul's thinking about it, too. He looked at Abraham, expecting him to say something in approval, but he found he had nothing to say. He told Victor, well, I'm glad to hear the gospel spoke to you, and the boy moved off into the crowd. What did he think of this recruitment drive for the Order of the Dragon? In truth, he'd nearly forgotten about it. He'd meant to give it more thought, but then Radu had been stabbed and then Marley had disappeared. A few months ago, if one had asked him, he wasn't sure he'd have known anything about the order. He was familiar with the role of the chivalric societies during the Crusades. He knew that some had, over the centuries, turned into organizations through which titles and nobility were granted. That one was still granting honorifics in Transylvania wasn't a surprise, but for it to be actively recruiting in 1816? It was raining hard now. Abraham got to the steps of the rectory stoop when he heard someone call his name. He turned to see Marian, a farmer with long dark hair and a soft voice who lived a ways outside the village. He had the hood of a wool cloak pulled over his head and was saying something Abraham couldn't hear over the noise of the rain and all the people finally leaving the courtyard. Why don't you come inside, Marian? I'll make tea. The farmer stepped in, removed his cloak, and Abraham pulled out a chair at the dinner table for him. He put a kettle on and found a supply of ginger tea, hoping it might help ease his head. While he waited for the water to boil, he sat down opposite Marian and asked, How are you? How is... Abraham realized he couldn't remember the name of the man's wife. She was short and had a loud laugh and a large mole on her cheek. Daniela Carmen. She's well, thank you. She's why I'm here. Her father, you see, he's not well. I'm sorry to hear that. We hoped you could pay him a visit. Take him communion? Of course, we have communion for the sick. I can give your father-in-law's name to young Eon. He makes the rounds every Sunday to those who aren't well enough to come to Mass. I take it he's been seen by a doctor? He has. And has he been sick for a month? Does the doctor think he'll recover soon? Father- Also, he isn't to eat, water only, before receiving the Eucharist. Young Eon can Abraham had been speaking without really looking at Miriam. When he did, he realized his mistake. Ordinarily, anyone who had been sick for an extended period of time and who could not come to Mass himself could be given Holy Communion by anyone dispatched by the Church for that purpose. From the look on the man's face, it was clear his father-in-law's condition was much more serious. Miriam was asking about the Viaticum, the final administration of Eucharist given by a priest just before a person's death. Forgive me, my friend, Daniela Carmen's father. He doesn't have long, does he? The man had tears in his eyes. We thought he might get better. He had been sick last year, but then he was out planting in April, but he Abraham put his hands on Marion's and sat for a minute. He heard the water start to boil and got up and brought back two cups of tea. I can ride over this afternoon. Thank you, father. Daniela Carmen will find so much comfort having you there. Abraham put on his cloak and his wide hat, slung his bag over his shoulder, and walked down the hill to the stables. An hours-long ride in the rain wasn't something he was looking forward to, but by the time he'd left the town's main buildings behind, he found himself lost in thought and his headache mostly gone. He thought of poor Marley. It had been just over three weeks since she'd come home, and now she was gone. Loreline had come to see him Thursday. The woman in the white cloak, a dance instructor from Transylvania, apparently, had either abducted Marley, or Marley had left with her without telling anyone she was going, though that didn't seem like her. Count Dracula had sent his guards to bring her back. Abraham had accompanied Loreline back to the bakery and prayed with the family. Lord knew they had been through enough. Five years ago, they were happy and healthy. Marley was reading every book she could. Loreline and Dora were thriving. Their mother was alive. Then Carada's plague had struck Bucharest, and a few cases spread north. Kumpana was lucky to lose only a few. Now he was riding to visit Daniela Carmen's father. Before leaving, he had asked Father Tiburu if he'd known the family. He remembered the man well. His name was Petre. They had lived on that farm for ages. He knew how to juggle and used to put on a little show for the children at festivals. Tiburu thought maybe he'd been a singer, too. The rain didn't let up. Abraham trotted up to the farmhouse soaking wet and very hungry. As he rode up, Abraham saw Daniela Carmen push one of her sons out of the front door. From her posture, it was clear he didn't want to go out into the rain, which earned him several harsh words from his mother. He turned, put on a more presentable face, and came out to tend to Abraham's horse. Another son, less gangly than the first, appeared and beckoned Abraham inside, where a teenage girl who looked remarkably like her mother, minus the mole, took his cloak and hat. He kissed Daniela Carmen's cheeks, and she introduced two children, Carmen Beatrix and Nico, and then pushed him to a seat by the fire to warm up. After a short time, the eldest son, Peter Octavian, returned from the stable but was immediately sent back outside by his mother for firewood. If there was something Abraham could count on, it was that all Wallachian housewives considered it an imperative to force a visiting priest to eat until he nearly burst. Before long, Abraham was invited to the table where fresh bread and bronza, a soft sheep's cheese, were laid out, along with a nice, dry plum brandy. He just spread some of the strong, crumbly cheese into his bread when a bowl of shorba appeared. The sour soup with lemon, tomato, and meatballs was a local favorite, and did a good deal in helping restore Abraham after his ride. Lastly, Daniela Carmen served a plate of mamaliga, a cornmeal porridge with sour cream, alongside a bit of pork. After Abraham had eaten his fill and been forced to eat some more, the younger son, Niku asked, Would you tell us about Count Dracula? Before Abraham could reply, Niku followed with, They say he's from Transylvania. Have you ever been to Transylvania? What's it like there? Is it true they have Nosferatu there? I heard we used to have them here. How long a ride is it to get to Castle Dracula? At the mention of Nosferatu, Daniela Carmen crossed herself. Niku, let Father Abraham enjoy his meal. But Mama, she shot him a look and then told him, sharply, to clear the table. It's probably time I go see Petre, if you please, said Abraham. Thank you, father. Thank you for coming. It's a blessing to be here with your family. Petre was in bed in his room in the farmhouse. From the hallway, Abraham could hear that the man's breathing was a dry, weak rattle, but he sat up when he saw the priest at the door and beckoned him inside. His grandchildren stood outside, looking in, but Petre said, Come in, everyone, please, children. Niku, hand me those. The elderly man pointed to a few small balls made of leather that were sitting in a basket in the corner. Niku let out a little giggle and brought them to his grandfather. He sat up straighter and tossed them into the air, first two, then three. Niku cheered throughout the whole thing. Peter Octavian and Carmen Beatrix, who had surely seen this act a hundred times before, started out watching just for the sake of their brother, but then got wrapped up in the show as it went on. Daniela Carmen spent the time watching her children watch her father with tears in her eyes. The little juggling display lasted perhaps two minutes before Petre had to stop due to a coughing fit. When he regained his breath, it was clear the man had used the remainder of his earthly energy to entertain his grandchildren one last time. Whether he would pass that very night, or sometime in the next week, Abraham couldn't guess, but he was glad Marian had come when he had. He asked the family to give them a moment so he could pray over Petre and take his last confession, and then called them back to watch him receive communion and be anointed with oil. After the sacraments had been performed, Daniela Carmen stayed with her father until he fell asleep, and Abraham was shown to one of the children's bedrooms by Carmen Beatrix. She carried his bag in and looked out the window. It was still raining. I thought Tata would be home by now. I'm happy he came to see me today. To invite me to see you and be with your grandfather. He said he had a few things to do in town, and then he was going to ride right home. That he'd be back by sunset. Maybe the rain was too much. The storm stopped overnight. Breakfast was more mamaliga, fresh eggs, bread, and a hot cup of tea. After they'd eaten, Abraham and Daniela Carmen checked in on Petre. He was asleep, but opened his eyes and smiled at his daughter when he saw her. He seemed to be at peace. Abraham picked up his bag and thanked the family for their hospitality. Carmen Beatrix gave him a loaf of bread wrapped in cloth to take for his trip, and Peter Octavian went to get his horse. I'm sorry Marion didn't make it home. He was excited to have you for the night. I imagine I'll pass him on the road back to town, said Abraham. He kissed her cheeks and turned to wait for the boy to return from the stable. It was good, Abraham thought, to have been able to be there with them last night. Petre would die in the right way, in a state of grace, surrounded by his family. Momentarily, Peter Octavian came back with an odd look on his face. What is it? asked Abraham. Looking at his mother, the boy said, Bell is here, by the stable. Where is your father then? asked Daniela Carmen. No, Mama. Bell is here, but he still had his saddle and bridle on. They weren't put away. I think he came home without Tata. I don't understand. Where is your father if his horse is already home? Abraham said, Daniela Carmen, don't worry. I'll ride back to the village and ask if anyone has seen Miriam. Thank you for your hospitality and the good meals. He kissed her cheeks again, then mounted his horse and rode off. After an hour's ride, Abraham ran into Coston, a merchant from the village whose son worked in Castello Largish. After exchanging pleasantries, he asked if the man had seen Miriam. He hadn't. A while later, he passed a boy leading a donkey. The boy saw him and said, "'Father, my mamma, she's up the road. A man's hurt.' Abraham cantered around a turn and found a woman standing at the intersection to a small path. She was pacing back and forth and talking to herself, clearly upset. When she saw him, she made the sign of the cross and said, Father, oh, I'm so glad somebody came along. I don't know what to do. What is it? She didn't say, but pointed. On the path a short distance away was a man lying face up on the ground in the puddle. The woman's son had followed him back to the intersection and was now watching timidly. Abraham got down, gave him his reins, and asked him to hold them for a moment, then walked down the path. The woman resumed her pacing. Abraham heard her begin to pray to herself, Ave Maria, gratia plena. Then she said a word Abraham wished he hadn't heard. He recognized the man when he got closer. It was Marian. Abraham knelt to check on him. The woman stood a few feet behind him and said, He wasn't breathing when I checked, and his neck don't look right. Oh, father, I think it's... I know it must be... Abraham touched Marion's brow. It was cool. He went to feel if he was breathing, when he saw what the woman meant about his neck. She was right. It didn't look right. But it wasn't broken. Abraham wished it were. It was covered with blood, which, though smeared and partially dried, clearly originated from two raised bumps. It was a sight Abraham hadn't seen in 20 years, but there was little doubt in his mind. Marian had been killed by a vampire. The woman again said Nosferatu and dropped to her knees in the mud, terrified. Marian's Last Ride It would be well past dark at this rate before he got home. Marion knew he wouldn't be there in time to have dinner with Father Abraham, but he didn't think he'd be this far behind. He'd made arrangements to hire several women to sing the bochette once Petri passed and had found one of Daniela's Carmen's cousins, who said he'd let the rest of the family know to expect to be hearing from him soon and to come pay their respects if they were able. With dusk approaching, Marion left town, heading home. The woods just south of the village had been cleared and contained several farms. In some areas of Wallachia, a new practice of burning forests to make room for farmlands was catching on. There was debate in Kumpana on the matter. Some were in favor because it was a fast way to claim land. Others didn't like the idea of losing all the lumber. Marian didn't see the need to be so hasty. He was well into the forested area, over an hour south of town, when he heard a pack of wolves begin to howl. Bella seemed nervous, and he patted his head and told him to go on. Soon he heard a noise behind him and turned to see a huge wolf running in his direction on the path. Bella let out a squeal, reared, and almost threw him. Marian gave him a kick and the horse sped forward. When he looked back after a minute, nothing was there. He kept up his speed for a while, until he felt more sure that they'd left the wolf behind. He got hungry. The rain continued. After five more minutes, he slowed and reached down into his pack to get a bit of bread and salami, when he heard a loud shriek. He looked up just in time to see a great bat flying directly toward him. He raised his hands in front of his face, and the bat swooped and struck him. Bella reared again. Marion was just able to pull his boots from the stirrups and allow himself to fall off before being thrown. He landed with a wet thud on the path. Looking up, he saw Bella speeding away. He brought himself into a sitting position and looked down the road, but couldn't see where Bella had gone. Then he had the feeling someone was behind him, and turned to see a tall, thin man. He had a heavy mustache that concealed much of his mouth, and Marion's eyes were drawn to the fixed, cruel-looking expression he had. Looking around again for Bella, Marion heard the man speak. I'm afraid I gave your horse quite a scare. He won't be coming back. Marion stood up. The man said, Good evening. I am Dracula. But Marion. Herr Marion, you live nearby? A farm, a few hours' ride? Excellent. Just what I need. Need? When he'd fallen, Marion had landed in a puddle. He was already drenched and now felt the mud covering his legs. Then, strangely, the sensation of being wet started to go away. He could no longer feel the water dripping off him. He was sure he was still soaked, but he could no longer quite perceive his own body. He was focused, instead, on the man's eyes. He found he couldn't quite take his gaze away from them, or perhaps that he simply didn't want to. I was looking for someone who didn't live in the village, but was connected enough to it that he would be missed. Marian felt there was a question he wanted to ask, but then the motivation to ask it seemed to disappear. These villagers you see, they're superstitious, said the man. They always have been, but it helps, sometimes, for them to see that their superstitions are real. Dracula walked a semicircle around Marian. Slowly, he extended his hand, and with the tip of one pointed fingernail stroked Marion's neck. And what better than something the people already fear? I give them a vampire, then sell them on an order to fight vampires, which they'll never be able to succeed at, of course. You see, this land has gotten soft. For too long has the Turk held control. These people need something to unite them. They need to believe that their land is in danger, both from the foreigner and from the supernatural. They need to think they can work together to fight it. And oh, how proud they'll be, thinking they're working their god's will, while all the time I sit on my perch pulling their strings. Marion hardly heard these last words. He was too focused on the man's red eyes. Then, in an instant, Count Dracula let the trance drop, and Marion saw him open his mouth and a set of sharp, white teeth. Dracula let him run down a side path off the main road, for just long enough that Marion thought he might escape. Then he struck. Thank you for listening. You can follow Wallachia on Twitter at Wallachianet or on the web at wallachia.net. Next chapter in two weeks, we'll catch up with Marley and Margareta on the road to the Red Tower Pass.